The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febctoday.org. People are leaving gangs. People are giving their life to Christ. And man, I, I, I still can't believe that people, something that can come out of my mouth, can help a person, but the key is it's not anything to do with me. It all has to do with the Lord. Wait until you hear the story this week's first-person guest is about to tell us. Louis Dooley was once in prison for theft and attempted murder, but, well, I'll let him tell his own story in a moment. Welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. The conversation you're about to hear in all of our interviews are made possible by the Far East Broadcasting Company, who loves to be a part of telling the stories of God at work in people's lives. With its many radio programs and projects, FEBC reaches deep into difficult-to-penetrate countries with the simple, hope-filled message of the gospel, and millions respond. Learn more about the Far East Broadcasting Company when you visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Click on the banner for FEBC and pray for this ministry and sign up for the devotional there at firstpersoninterview.com. Our guest, Louis Dooley, now works with Set Free Ministries and helps those in prison study the life-changing Bible through correspondence courses provided by Emmaus International. But just how Louis ended up doing what he now does is an amazing story that only God could orchestrate. You know, as life would have it, I decided around the age of 15 or 16 that uh, getting involved with drugs was going to be good because I was in a lot of hurt and pain from my father being murdered. And so uh, to deal with that hurt and pain, I turned to alcohol and drugs like, you know, a lot of people do. But How my, old were you? I was um, 15 going on 16. Oh, boy. I decided that I didn't care about my life or really anything anymore, and the drugs and alcohol kind of, you know, medicated myself, so to speak. And so I went from smoking weed and drinking alcohol to selling weed and then not being able to sell it anymore because I was smoking it all up. So by my senior year of high school, I graduated, I call it, to selling crack cocaine. Mm. So I became a neighborhood crack dealer. That brought a whole lot of other circumstances, mainly violence, which turned into a lot of fights, shootouts, drive-by shootings, pretty much anything you would see in the inner city, like on the news, you know, I would get involved in. And at 19 years old, that all came to a screeching halt when I was found guilty of attempted murder and first-degree armed robbery and sentenced to life and 100 years in prison. Mm. Life and 100 years. And, and you were guilty. Yeah, I was guilty. Yep, I was guilty. You understood the consequences, but it didn't matter to you? Well, you know, I, my wife and I talk about this, and I say, you know, when you're a criminal, you're never planning on getting caught. So I never thought, oh, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to get caught. I always thought I'm going to do this and I'm going to get away with it. So, yeah, I knew that if I did the circumstances. However, I kind of looked at that as like a notch in my belt, so to speak. Like this will give me more street cred because if I get locked up and go to prison and get out, then I can just be even tougher or have a different, you know, uh, reputation in the neighborhood. Yeah. 
you, you've written a book called Prison Saved My Life, and uh, that's a fascinating title, by the way. Yeah, and you know, I would say probably most people, if they're being honest, who've been incarcerated could echo those same words. So that's not necessarily unique to me, but it definitely is very literal because the life I was living and the path I was on was leading me to a, a quick death. All right. Walk us into that prison your first few days there. What's yeah. that like? Well, my first few days in prison, uh, I remember getting there. I had a trash bag full of state-issued clothing. Um, over my shoulder like Santa Claus in his red bag. And I remember walking into the wing of the prison, and it was like E.F. Hutton walked in the room. Like it got quiet. Hmm. People were on the phone. People were playing cards and chess. Everybody stopped, and everybody was looking at me. And I just made a beeline straight for my cell because I'm like, I don't want no problems. I don't want people looking at me. I feel weird. I'm afraid. Like, let me just get in my cell, close the door, and take a couple deep breaths. I cannot imagine how long did it take for you to get, I guess, you know, comfortable is not the right word, but, you know, acclimated to prison? Man, probably maybe about maybe a month, two months okay. before I actually start feeling like, okay, I've learned enough of the ropes on how to survive so far. So start feeling more comfortable about, yeah, about two months. Was violence ever a, a problem? Actually, later that first day, so after I went to my cell and met my cellmate, Later that night when I went out to the yard to just kind of get some fresh air and, like, see the prison yard, uh, a guy, like, touched me in a, you know, touched my leg, like, kind of in a sexual way. And so um, it was a whole crowd of people kind of going through a gate. So a bunch of people going one direction and others going the opposite. And he just kind of touched my leg. And I saw who it was. And I was with a gentleman I had met and told him what happened. He said, oh, he's in the cell block with us. We can go talk to him later. So mm. later on, I actually rushed up in this guy's cell and jumped on his back and started choking him out and told him if he touched me again, I'd kill him. Okay. So you uh, you wanted to take care of business right away. Yeah, off the top because, you know, I didn't want to be a victim of any kind of, any kind of abuse, especially sexual abuse. Yeah. But then uh, a transition happened. Um, talk to me. What, what was going on in your life then? Well, actually, the transition happened before then. So before prison, yeah, yeah, county jail. So typically, there's a difference between jail and prison. A lot sure. of people kind of use them interchangeably, and they're not. Jail is like a kind of a holdover to see if you're guilty, mm-hmm. and then prison is more permanent where you carry out your sentence. So actually, I was out on bond for my crime, which was attempted murder and first degree robbery. And during those six, seven, eight months of being on bond, nothing changed in my life. I went to trial three days, and that third day got found guilty. And it was later that day when I went into the dorm room when another inmate who I didn't know put a cardboard box with a lid on it at my feet and left. And so I thought, you know, who is this guy, a welcoming committee? (laughs) So I looked in the box, and there were wham-whams and zuzus, you know, candy bars, chips, Little Debbie cakes, and then underwear, socks, and T-shirts, all things I didn't have. And so my first thought was, I got to kill this guy. What? Why? Because he's giving me stuff. If I take it, he's going to tell me I owe him like $10,000 or he's going to want some kind of sexual favors. Oh, or, you feel obligated. Yeah, yeah because okay. people where I'm from don't give you something for nothing. I see. You okay. know, people aren't in jail for being Boy Scouts. Okay. And so I figured I would um, eat some of the food, put on some of the clothes and make him think I took the bait. But I would go later on, kill this guy. Mm. And so I waited till later that night when it appeared to be everyone was asleep. And I made my way over to his cell, and the cell didn't have doors on them. The staff had taken them off because people would barricade themselves in the cell, and they couldn't get them out. So I rushed into this guy's cell to take his life. And what I rushed into was something that I had no idea was going to be. 
because it was him and two other guys in there having Bible study. (laughs) And of course, at the time, I didn't know it was Bible study. Yeah. But um, they all had a book open and, and the guy I went to kill was reading. And so he continued reading. And at some point he stopped and looked at me and said, do you believe in God? And I quickly said, no, I believe in evolution. And that was something I just picked up in public high school. I thought we're kind of built like apes, so we must be from apes. Mm. And so uh, he gave me a little Bible track, and I took it, and they all looked at me like, okay, you can leave now. So I left. Um, that stopped you in your tracks? That stopped me in my tracks. Really? Yep, yep, it did. All the adrenaline just kind of left my body. All the anxiety, all the anger kind of all subsided once I rushed through the threshold of that cell. Looking back on that, you see that it was the Lord. Really. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But at the time, I didn't know what it was. I was mad when I was walking back to my bunk because I didn't know, am I going to get gang raped tonight? Am I going to get murdered in my sleep? Like, what's going to happen to me? Hmm. So I went back to my bunk, and I sat down, and I just was thinking— there were so many things in life I wanted to achieve, like good things, and I had an opportunity to do some of these things, but I had thrown it away, and my life was over. And so I just wish I had a gun so I could blow my brains mm, out. Wow. And so I didn't have a gun, but I had this Bible track. And so I opened it, and it started talking about creation, you know, with God and the earth and everything in it, then man being his greatest creation. It talked about, you know, God giving him a job to tend the garden and the animals, and then him creating, you know, Eve— Um, from him and that they were in a perfect relationship and union with him. But then it talked about this word I actually had never heard before. Three-letter word, sin. Is that right? Never had heard the word sin. And it um, had a Bible verse in Romans 3.23 that said, For all have sinned. And actually in uh, sixth grade, I represented my school in a spelling bee, and I lost to the word tonsillitis. So English was my favorite subject. I loved spelling. I loved words. So I knew what all meant. It meant everybody. Mm -hmm. And then it listed some sins like uh, stealing, lying, uh, lusting, all things that I was reading. I was thinking, you know what? These are things that everybody who hasn't told a little white lie. Mm -hmm. And then there was another verse in Romans chapter six that said the wages of sin is death. And then it started talking about what death meant. That not that it was a physical death because everybody's going to die, but it was talking about an eternal separation um, from God and man and that there's a place that man would send himself to called hell if they chose not to believe. And then it started talking about Jesus, about uh, salvation. Over what length of time did this all un- get unfolded for you? I mean, was it a day, a week, a, a year? No, it was a day. It was that day. In that, that day. Moment, it was me reading It was immediate. Stuff. It was immediate. So I read about salvation, about Jesus, who he is, what he did. And it talked about forgiveness and it talked about a second chance. And I just thought, man, you know, there's tons of things in life that I've done that everybody's done that in retrospect, they would do things differently. And this was major, though. Right. I had shot at people, robbed people. I desperately wanted to change that. But as we all know, you can't turn back the hands in time of time and change it. But life can be different moving forward. So you be, you came under conviction, but what did you do about it? There was a prayer at the end that said, if you want a second chance, if you want to have a clean slate, then all you have to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus. And so I said, you know what, man, if this is real, then this is what I need. And so there was a sinner's prayer on the back. I prayed and I prayed my own little prayer. You know, I said, God, I don't even know if you're real, if this stuff is real. But if it is, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. But the minute you show me you're not real, I'm through messing with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wouldn't advise anyone to <laughs> yeah. say the last part. But in my, in my innocence of and course. in my ignorance, yeah. you know, but I was sincere. Like I wanted to believe that this was real because I knew I needed it. 
And so I went to sleep that night. Nothing happened. The next day, those guys brought me a Bible, taught me how to pray, start fellowshipping with me. And they were all waiting to go to trial for murder. All three of these guys were. And so um, I gave my life to Christ that night. About 30 days later, I went to prison. And that's when I had that first day experience. Mm-hmm. Um, got a job in the chapel shortly after getting to prison. Uh, learned about a ministry that was passing out Bible courses so you can learn the Bible. And I was like, this is what I need because I can't understand this King James Version Bible. It's like reading Shakespeare. And I had written, read some Shakespeare in high school in English. And so it's like, I can't understand this. So these courses were just so helpful in me understanding God's word. And that led me on a, a journey to really start learning God's word, was turned into evangelism, was turned into like leading Bible studies and whatnot. And so for the first time in my life, I actually felt like I had purpose and that I had peace. We'll continue the story of Lewis Dooley on this week's First Person and hear about Set Free Ministries. I'm so grateful for the grace I received while listening to FBBC all day long. I cried listening to God's message multiple times. Just one of millions of grateful people who listens to the Far East Broadcasting Company in her own language. You can sign up for a free online daily devotional from FEBC, telling more listener stories while at the same time it encourages you from God's Word. Receive this online devotional without obligation when you visit firstpersoninterview.com. My guest is Louis Dooley. Louis has written a book called Prison Saved My Life. Louis, thanks for being with me. Mm, so, thank you for having me. A moment ago, you told us about how you came to Christ. Pretty mm. dramatic. Uh, but you're still in prison, yep. serving life to, in a hundred. Yep. But you're sitting here today. Yeah. Tell me what happened. Yeah, so actually after being in prison six months, I got two more life sentences. So I had three life sentences and a hundred years. And basically what that meant was I'm not going home. You are staying. I'm 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 dead. I'm 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 in prison for the rest of my life. And so I prayed like Paul, God help me be content with where I'm at. And so God gave me that peace and that contentment. And actually through the appeal process, one of the life sentences got overturned. So my final sentence was two life sentences and 100 years, but that didn't really change anything. Yeah, yeah, right. And so after 13 years of being incarcerated, the parole board sent me a letter saying that they were going to interview me. And I thought this kind of odd, but a mere formality probably. So I went to the interview. Um, I had went to a class for like over a year that prepares you for parole. And so I was prepared for all the tough questions, the mean things they were going to say. And it was nothing like that. It was really quick. And then that's when the light bulb went on. Like, yes, this is a formality. Like, this is something they have to do, but they're not letting me go. And so they told me I'd get an answer in six weeks. And I went back to my life of ministry and just doing time with Jesus. And six weeks came, and I got an answer that said they were going to let me go in two and a half years. And I just started crying and said, thank you, Jesus. So, so that's it. How do you, how do you explain it except the Lord? That's, I mean, that's the only explanation I know. I mean, they didn't have good time in Missouri where I was incarcerated. Um, you know, goody two shoes type inmates. A lot of times staff looks at it as if you're playing a game. So you're playing the system, trying to stay clean. And I was trying to stay clean and not get in trouble, but not for the system, but for the Lord, because mm-hmm. I knew what it looked like doing things my way because it landed me in prison. And so now I was trying to do things the Lord's way. So, I had never gotten an explanation as to why, and and really I didn't ask, and and I was just thankful, and I didn't want to like 
seem ungrateful to say, well, why are you letting me go? Mm-hmm. Like, thank the Lord, I'm going and I'm giving you all the props, Lord, because if I give anyone else some due, then it takes away from what God has done. And so it's been a little over nine years since I was released and I, I don't question it. I just look and say, Lord, thank you for giving me a second chance. Again, another second chance. And you're looking in every way possible to serve him today. Um, But still, when you're released, you're a convicted felon. Yep. So that makes life very difficult, I would imagine. Yeah, especially with employment. Um, By God's grace, uh, I didn't have to worry about trying to get my own apartment. Because even getting an apartment or anything, you have to fill out an application. And having that convicted felon on your record uh, makes life very difficult. So housing wasn't a problem. But a job was, and it took God again doing something supernatural by meeting a man at a church who started a coffee roasting company who only looks to employ post-prison men and women. And it's like, wow, like I never heard anything like this. And I heard him speak and was like, that guy going to give me a job. That's my (laughs) exact thought. And I met him on a Saturday, filled out an application the Monday, interviewed Tuesday. They hired me Thursday, and that Friday I was roasting coffee. So that was enough to get you on your feet. That got me on my feet, yep. And that was so needful because I was going stir-crazed. It was like the Lord delivered me from one type of prison to another type, mm-hmm. but I was on the outside. Mm-hmm. So at what point then did you uh, turn your heart towards uh, helping those who are still in prison? I mean, this is what you do today uh, through Set Free Ministries, and, and we'll get into a little more of the detail, but what was going on in your life? Yeah, so I got out of prison, and I was like wanting to really do something to help young people not go. That was my plan. You want to that keep was my them out mission. of prison. Keep them out. Yeah, let's catch them before they go in, and then we can, once everybody else goes home or dies, we can shut all the prisons down. <laughs> And so the Lord wouldn't open any doors. And I was praying, Lord, I'll do anything but prison ministry because I did it pretty much my whole entire 15 and a half year sentence. And it's tough, man. I mean, it's, it's heavy lifting. It really is. And I was like, I need a break. And so the Lord had different plans, you know. So about a year and a half of, of being out and the Lord answering my prayer, not giving me prison ministry, he was building me up and teaching me and preparing me for prison ministry. And, and it was okay, you know, because I got experience with it. Heavy lifting, you know, the Lord will give me the strength and everything I need physically and spiritually to lift that weight, so to speak. So it was just saying, okay, Lord, if this is what you'll have me do, then I'll just have to humble myself and do it. And so the opportunity came in 2012 to work for a ministry called Set Free Ministries that's headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri. And it was a ministry I worked for in prison, got to know the the director of the ministry very well. He became not only a, a mentor, but almost even like a father figure to me. And uh, he asked me, would I go share my testimony at a conference? And after doing so, th- we started discussing me working for the ministry and my wife and I prayed about it, and it seemed to make sense. I was kind of stir-crazy with, with what I was doing. I don't like coffee to smell or taste, so God <laughs> to give me a job in the coffee industry was like a sense of humor. It was humbling. It was humbling, <laughs> yep. It was humbling. And so my wife and I said yes, you know, that I would work for the ministry, and that was 2012, and the Lord has been faithful. Um, he's used me um and, and I'm not a person that it would consider myself someone to even be used by God and somebody that God keeps blessing. And at times I ask myself, Lord, like, why? Like, why you, you've already given me so much, you know, why, why me? And not in a prideful or, or angry way, but just in a way like God is overwhelming. Yeah. There's so much to talk about here, Lewis, but you got to tell the story of how you and your wife uh, first met and, and how the Lord orchestrated that. Yeah, so in 2003, I'm just doing time, living my life, and I get a letter in the mail from a person I didn't know, 
And it was a lady from the northern Illinois area, which I had never been before. And she basically in the letter said, a friend of yours you grew up with, I worked with him. And he was telling me that um, she was trying to find somebody that wanted to write you. And I didn't have any friends that would. And I wasn't planning on it, but I decided I would. So I was like, well, you know, thank you very much. Here's what my life is. I'm, it's about God. And we started talking about the Lord. You and, didn't hold back spiritually in writing to her. No, nah, no. Nah, I mean, you know, I, I feel like our time here on earth, we don't know how much time we have. And we should be dedicating at least the majority of our life to the things of the Lord. And if that's sharing the gospel with people, like that's something that has eternal value. And so anybody I encounter, my conversation is about Christ and Christ crucified. And yeah. so we had conversations. The Lord was working on her heart prior to her writing me with someone inviting her to church. And so, you know, the Lord was doing something kind of supernatural in her life and, and already was doing something in mine. And we start writing, turning the phone calls. She would visit me three or four times a year. And, um, six years later, I got out and we got married. And, Wonderful. Yep. Yeah. The Lord is using you as a team today in Set Free Ministries. Let's spend our last few minutes talking about what it is you're able to do mm-hmm. to help those who are incarcerated. Bible correspondence courses is, is, is most effective, right? Yeah. You know, I think that the most important thing a Christ follower can do post their conversion is really saturate themselves with the Word of God. Really understand it. Um you know, Psalm 119.11 is one of my favorite verses, which says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against mm-hmm. you. And that's important to God. God hates sin and he loves the sinner. And so I think that the more we know and understand God's word, we have a strong relationship with him. We're more in tune with the power of the Holy Spirit, which helps us with obedience, which then gives us the mission that God has for us individually. So teaching people the word of God is what Set Free Ministries is about. And we do that through Bible courses from Emmaus International. And we get those courses in for guys free of charge. You mail them in. We mail them in. They mail it back. They mail it back all free. What what kind of numbers are we talking about? We send out about thirty four to thirty five thousand courses a year, and we get over thirty three thousand back. See, that amazes me that the response rate is so high on that. How do you account for that? Yeah, you know, so when people go to prison and jail, you've heard rock bottom, the end of your rope. That's the reality for most people. And people are seeking and they're searching for something because they don't like the circumstances. People talk about jailhouse religion. I don't have a problem with that term because I got a jailhouse relationship you know, with Jesus. And so people want to do something different in life because they understand the errors of their ways. Yeah, you have the big, crazy monsters and mean guys in prison, but that's the minority. The majority are people like everyday life people that made, you know, they sinned, they made mistakes, broke the law, and rightfully so, they should be incarcerated. But they're looking for life change. And the word of God, I believe, is the only way that'll change a man's heart. Only Christ can do that work. And so it's a non-offensive way for people to learn God's word because everybody can't go to a worship service. You know, volunteers would come out. You may get 30, 40, maybe 100 people to a worship service. If there's a thousand people in that prison, they can't all go. Some people are ashamed because of the scrutiny they get if they go to a church service because they're preyed upon because Christianity is like the bottom of the barrel in jail and in prison. And so they can take these courses in their cell. They can actually even be in segregation where they can't even get out the cell. And these courses can go can go anywhere in the institution. And so it's something for people to do to learn God's word, to give them hope. You'll want to learn more about this ministry of getting God's word inside prison walls. Go to firstpersoninterview.com and in the program notes, we'll place links to our guest, Louis Dooley and Set Free Ministries. His book is entitled, Prison Saved My Life. 
And you'll also find a link to that book at firstpersoninterview.com. Thanks for listening each week to this program. We try to bring you stories from people in all sorts of life circumstances who have found hope, healing, and purpose by giving their lives in service to Jesus Christ in His kingdom. A special thank you to the Far East Broadcasting Company for their support. I hope you'll say thanks by visiting FEBC and learning more about this gospel-centered ministry that touches millions of lives each and every day. Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us again for First Person.